There are many colors that have been associated with Christmas. No one's quite sure exactly where they came from. No one has stepped forward to say, oh, this is, this is it here, I, I gave this, or these people here gave that color. There's really no clear picture of where it is that the colors that are typically associated with Christmas come from. You know, you think of the song, Silver Bells. It was a song written for the Bob Hope movie, I think it's 1951, The Lemon Drop Kid. And in there, in that song, which I'm sure most people know the song, it talks about silver bells and how the streets, they, they're decorated for Christmas with bright red and green. You know, red and green, they, they're colors that seem to, be, to resonate continually in Christmas in modern times. Interesting side note, the, the streets blinked a bright red and green. That was the traffic lights. At the time, they didn't have yellow, for those of you who weren't around like me. Had to do research to discover that one. It was just red and green. But why is it? What is it about red and green? Why is it that they are part of, of Christmas? What makes them so special? And again, there's, there's plenty of speculation to go around where they came from. Some people try to, to spiritualize it and say, well, there was, there was green at the birth of Christ. Well, maybe. Maybe. We have no indication from Scripture to, to tell that. that. That would be pure speculation at that point. And, and if anywhere, it goes back again to the thing I've been talking about all along, is there was this mysticism that surrounded the evergreen plant in ancient times because it was able to stay green all winter long. And so there's that possibility, and maybe that's where it points to. Some say the red berries on the holly plant, they, they're the reason for the, uh, the, the red as part of Christmas, that they pointed to the blood of Christ. Well, again, speculation. We don't know for sure. No one really knows where these colors come from. Nonetheless, Green, red, and even gold seem to be standards within Christmas colors. Oh, over the years, various colors have been added. Silver, silver bells. Some people added blue or white. And then, you know, a lot of speculation. And people come up, come up with all sorts of reasons why those colors should be included. But as I said, none of these are really... They're not, they're not pointed out in Scripture for us. These aren't biblical mandates. None of these Christmas traditions that we're celebrating are biblical mandates. They are things that we have added in to help us to enhance the season as we make it about Christ. So as we're looking at these colors, if you have other colors that you find important, maybe there's reason for that. And my, my hope is that you make those colors then about Christ. But for today, I, I'm, I'm going to focus just on the green, red, and gold. I believe that those colors can help to remind us of some truths of the faith. And, once again, if you've been here for each of the messages so far in this series, you will have caught this overwhelming theme running through them. These colors, they can also help us to remember to be able to share then our faith with other people. So let's jump in. Let's start with the color green. Green, you see, when you see green this Christmas, I, my hope is that it reminds you of the life that Jesus gives. Green can remind us of the life that Jesus gives. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some of your translations, if you've got your Bible open, may have said have life abundantly. What is this full life or this abundant life about anyway? Is it riches? Is it health? Is it the good stuff of life, whatever that may be? Is it the American dream fulfilled in my life or maybe just my dreams fulfilled in life? What is this full life or this abundant life all about anyway. I would argue though that if we're looking at this from the perspective of 
me and my desires and life revolving around me, that we have completely missed what Jesus was talking about here. Because the abundant life Jesus is talking about, while we may enjoy it, is not about us. Not about us. Greek word that's translated as full or abundant, depending on your translation, it means pertaining to a quality so abundant as to be considered more than what one would expect or anticipate. That's the abundant life. The full life. See, Jesus isn't merely preserving life. Helping things to just kind of eke along barely. No, Jesus is giving abundant life. Life to the full. Beyond anticipation or what's expected. He is imparting life. You see, He's the author of life. What He gives is greater than anything this life has to offer. Jesus doesn't merely give us a good life to enjoy, but an overflowing life to give away. See, that word that's translated as to the full or abundant, it also carries the ideas of extraordinary, more than sufficient, and even overflowing. Jesus came that we could have an overflowing life. Jesus also said, John 7, 37-38, Let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers or springs of living water. They will flow from believers to the people around them. See, this is a word picture that's used multiple times throughout the whole of the Bible. This river of life. This spring of life flowing. It's a word picture that points back into the Old Testament. In the Garden of Eden where you had the rivers flowing, giving life. And you jump all the way to the end of the Bible. There, there's several other points throughout the whole Bible that talk about this. But you jump to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation where you see the river of life flowing from the throne of God. It is a word picture carrying the idea of life being imparted wherever this river goes. So for all believers, if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you are following Christ, God is inside of you and His river is flowing from you into the people around you. Where God is, life flows freely. There are life in Christ. It's to be an abundant overflowing one. One full of the good stuff of God. What's the good stuff of God? Consider Galatians chapter 5, verses 22-25. through 25. If, you're, if you're somebody who reads your Bible on a regular basis, you'll recognize this here. This is the good life that, that we're talking about. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, some translations say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, who doesn't want more of that good stuff in their life? Who doesn't want more love, joy, and peace in their life? That is the good stuff that should be flowing from within us as Christ followers. The fruit, you see, is the byproduct of God's presence in our life as Christ followers. That is, His river flowing from us. Yeah, it wells up inside of us, filling us with all the good stuff to flow on then out to others. To 
pour that good stuff into their lives, we will see this fruit in our life as we keep in step with the Spirit. As we learn to follow how the Spirit is leading us, God will produce this fruit in us so full, so abundant, so more than expected, more than anticipated, that it will bubble over and flow into the lives of the people around us. Everywhere we go, we will be known as people who give life. Maybe not in those words, but the idea. Like the river of God flowing from Him. This river that He puts inside of us, because as Christ followers, it will flow from us to give life wherever we go. Jesus even went so far as to say that this is a litmus test to determine, believer to believer, who is a believer. John 13.35 By this, everyone will know that you are My disciples. And here it is, if you love one another. The litmus test. Want to know who the Christ followers are? Look around at the people around you. If they have love for one another, it's a good indication they likely are Christ followers. The question that you may be asking in your mind then is this. What is, to my, what is my life to be overflowing with? Well, we kind of talked about it there from the Galatians passage. It's the abundant life that, that's full of all that good stuff. But the bigger question would be this. Is the abundant life or full life, is it a me thing or is there more to it? In other words, is it about me and, and me getting all my, my, my happiness or is it about something bigger than that? Let's look at Jesus as an example. Jesus already had everything that could ever be wanted in the good side in heaven. He had everything there. Perfect relationship with the Father, though that, that never changed. He had no pain, no suffering, nothing. He had everything He wanted in heaven. And, and He left it for the sake of the lost. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He left heaven to come to earth what we celebrate with Christmas, He left heaven to come to earth for the sake of the lost. He came for those who had rejected God. By the way, that's you and me. He came for us so that we too could have salvation. Paul picking up on this idea in Romans 5.8, he says, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God reconciled all who believe to Himself through Jesus. Jesus' life overflowed with love for others all the way to the point where He was willing to take the cross on our behalf. Do you catch the love there? It was overflowing so much He was willing to sacrifice even His own life for us. Pretty significant, isn't it? Jesus' love for humanity flowed out of Him in abundant ways. How does this affect us? Isaiah 58.11 The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. passage teaches us that as His people, our lives are to be like that well-watered garden or that spring. And we have to ask ourselves, what's the purpose of a garden or a spring? And whenever you read the Bible, you must always do this thing. You must always try to understand, what did that mean that I just read? What did it mean to the original hearers? 
Not how do I understand it today. That's not where you start. You start by trying to understand what did it mean to the original hearers. So, what did a, a well-watered garden or a spring, what did that represent to those people? What was the word picture conveyed in that? Well, a garden. garden didn't produce a crop for itself. That wasn't the purpose of a garden. A garden produced a crop for the one who was tending the garden. Springs, they didn't just bubble up water just for themselves. No, they fed into other things. Whether it was a pool, maybe a lake, or a well, or maybe a stream, or maybe even a river. The spring fed into other things. Gave life. Both produced life for things other than themselves. And that's what our life will be like as God works in us. Consider God's promise to Abraham in the Old Testament as another example. God promised to bless Abraham. But when you read the, the promise that God gave several times in the book of Genesis, you catch a clear picture. Abraham was not being blessed by God, so he would be blessed. No, God told him, I will bless you. And through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham wasn't being blessed just for himself. Oh, did he, did he enjoy the blessing? Yeah, sure did. But, he was being blessed so he could be a blessing to others. How God, God works in that, that way. Any more passages to talk about this? Okay. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good deeds are not done for ourselves. You know what? I'm sure you're well aware of this, but if you do something good, maybe... Okay, you know what? Let's take the food pantry that we've got here, got here that, that feeds you know, 30 to 50 families every other week. Okay? And for those who serve in that food pantry, I am pretty sure they enjoy doing that. It feels good to help other people. But do they serve just so they can feel good? I would hope not. I'm probably going to go out on a limb here, and I think I'm probably not too far off to say that they probably serve to serve the other people. They probably serve in that ministry so that other people can be blessed. That's the idea here. They do the good deeds so that God gets the glory, not themselves. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11. Now He, that is God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on all or every occasion. And through your generosity, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God is going to give you what is needed so you can be a blessing to others. So God gets the credit. In other words, more people turn to Him for salvation. God blesses us so we can bless other people. He does this so that others will see His goodness in our lives and turn to Him because of that. God's purpose for us is to be a source of life to others around us. This Christmas, as you see green, as you see green Christmas trees, garland or whatever, as you see green decorations, may they be reminders for you of these truths. That God has given, that God has given you abundant life as a Christ follower. Overflowing life that is to be flowing out to others. Consider how your life might impart life everywhere you go. 
as you let God's goodness flow through you. What about red? Well, the second color we're talking about today is the color red, and it reminds us of the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. Red reminds us of the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. It's vitally important here, though. I want to pause before I really jump into that concept on what red is, because it's vitally important we understand this next part that I'm about to talk about. It is vitally important that we never think that we can curry God's favor by doing enough good deeds. It doesn't work that way. It's not how we earn God's salvation, the salvation that God offers us. We do nothing to earn God's favor. Nothing like that anyway. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through is a passage that helps us to understand this. Where Paul wrote, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, that's a good deeds thing, okay? So that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we're doing the good works because that's how God created us to be which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul just said here we are saved by grace through faith. Not good works. God's grace is how we are saved, and that's received through faith. Paul in Romans 10.9, he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So in other words, if we confess that Jesus really is the ruler of our life, and not just say the words, but we make that the reality. This isn't about earning salvation. This is about the faith that Paul talked about in the Ephesians passage. That's what faith is about. Paul in Galatians 2, verse 16, he says, a person is not justified by the works of the law. In other words, by being good enough. We're not made right before God by being good enough. But, by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. That really kind of brings it all home here, doesn't it? We're not saved because we were good enough. We are good because we are saved. It is by faith that we are justified before God, not by our good work. You know, while we may hear passages like that, it may not help us it may not show us the significance of the color red. That still may be lost on us. So let me, let me give a little bit more on this. At the beginning of time, God stated that there would be a penalty for rejection of His love. For rejection of His rule in our life. And that penalty was death. Eternal separation from God's goodness. In other words, hell. might cause us to ask a question. It does for many. I've, I've run across this question before in one way, shape, or form. And the question is something like this. How can God make such a statement? How can God, what gives Him the right to be able to say, if you're going to reject my rule in your, in your life, then you're going to hell. What gives God the right to do that? Well, this is how. Remember, God didn't come upon our world. He didn't just stumble upon humans and decide to impose His will. You can almost, from that perspective, see it this way. Let's say a country invades another country and imposes their rule on them. Okay, That invaded country, they were free before the invading country took them over. They would have every right to rebel against the invading country to gain back the freedom they once had. But you see, that is not what it is regarding our world and us human beings. God did not come upon us as, as if we were already here and He 
stumbled upon us and decided to impose His rule. That's not how it worked. That's not, that's not how it happened. God didn't invade our world. Rather, God created it. God created us. God created everything that is. Isaiah 45, verses 9 and 10. Woe to those who quarrel, quarrel with their Maker. Those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does the work say the potter has no hand? You see, God made us. And as such, He has every right to determine right from wrong. He made us. He has every right to decide what is right and what is wrong. But then, in creating us, He gave us a choice. Love Him in return, or reject Him. It's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden represented. It was about that, that freedom of choice. God in His sovereignty, He gave human beings the freedom to choose to live under His rule, to love Him in return, or to reject Him. And He told us the consequences of rejecting His love. If we reject God's love in life, then we are only all we have left is God's wrath. And God's wrath is what hell is all about. If in life we say, I don't want God and His love, then all we have is God and His wrath. That is our only other option. But again, God, who knows all things, He's omniscient. He knows all things. He was able to look across the span of history from our perspective, the span of time. He knew what we would do. He knew about that sin that you would commit. He knew how I would fail Him in various ways. He knew that already, long before any of us were even a twinkle in our, our parents' eyes. God knows all things. He knew we would habitually choose to reject His love. He knew that we wouldn't live how He created us to live. He knew we wouldn't live our life how He wanted, but rather we would live it how we wanted. And so, and so, God also provided for the consequences of that freedom. Do you catch the significance there? That's huge. God created us with the freedom to choose Him, knowing we would reject Him, and provided the way out of the predicament that we would choose. Talk about a loving God. He did this. So we could still be with Him for eternity if we wanted. God gave us free will, knowing we would abuse it, then took care of the requirements for our rejection. Through Jesus. Now all who believe in Jesus can have their penalty paid for them. From the beginning of, the of time, God said that the penalty was death. For our rejection of His love, there was a price to be paid, and our life was it. Blood must be paid for the choice that we made to reject Him. In Old Testament times, animals were sacrificed. They understood they were symbolism pointing to a perfect sacrifice. It wasn't that in, in, Jewish, in the Jewish minds those animals were paying for their, their, their sins. They understood they were representing a perfect sacrifice that would one day be made. Jesus, you see, was the perfect sacrifice. The God-man 
Jesus lived a sinless life. He was born, He lived, He died, He came back to life, and then He returned to heaven. Isaiah 55, verses 6-7 Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them. And to our God, He will freely pardon. See, God's love for us is amazing. It really is amazing. The color red reminds us that no matter where our life currently is at, His love reaches even there. No matter how far somebody may be from God, God's love reaches there. His love is amazing. All we have to do is respond to His call. God is already calling us. Every human being who is far from the relationship with Him, He is calling them into a relationship with Him. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy 2.4 teaches that God wants all people to be saved. See, God actually wants all human beings to choose to love Him in return. He doesn't want anybody lost. Peter jumps in on this conversation. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Not wanting, here it is, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's desire that all people would choose to repent, to stop living for themselves and start living for God out of love. God is patient. And He is waiting for all people to turn to Him. He doesn't want anybody to perish. Even though He knows not everybody will. So as you see, color red that you see this Christmas, may it remind you of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, on my behalf. If you are a Christ follower, I, I hope this, is, this reminder of God's love, His grace, His sacrifice that Jesus made is a source of encouragement for you. Something for you to take joy in. For those who are not yet saved, for those who are not yet saved in your life, I hope as a Christ follower that you use this color to help, help them learn of God's grace. Help them to see God's love on display through the cross where Jesus died. Because He died even for them. They don't need to clean their life up before they can come into church. They don't need to clean their life before they go into the baptistry. They don't need to clean their life before they, before they can turn to Christ. No, they just need to turn to Him. He will help them. Remember I talked about that in the communion devotion? The idea that, while, that, that God is at work inside of us helping us to become, He doesn't expect us to become before we can turn to Him. He helps us to overcome the sin in our life. So use the color red this year. Help people understand that they too can be saved no matter where they're at. So finally, the color gold. Color gold reminds us of our eternal reward. Eternal life in heaven with God. For those who have already chosen to follow Christ, th this is your future. One day, when life on earth is over, all of us will experience that. Whether Jesus returns or we pass before He returns, one day, life on earth will be over. And then, you will get to enjoy the fullness of that relationship with God that you've had a taste of here on earth. It really is an amazing reward. It really is an amazing reward. If we don't understand God, then heaven is lacking in some capacity. But the more we understand about who God is, the greater that reward looks. 
And I'll tell you what, it is beyond our ability to comprehend it. It is so great. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. We want to understand that reward. We need to understand God. What's He like? What's His character like? Well, just as a couple small pieces, understand God is infinite. That means there is no end to who God is. Let's look at a couple components of who God is. Some attributes of God. God is love. It means there's no limit to His love. God is good. There's no limit to His goodness. God is creative. So you know what? Heaven will never get boring. There's no limit. There's no end to God's creativity. See, there's no end to who God is or what He's like. And God is good. Heaven is beyond our ability to even begin to wrap our brains around. To emphasize this reality, 2 Peter 3.9 passage that I read earlier emphasizes that God's desire is for all to be saved. He wants other people, He wants all people to enjoy that relationship with Him in the way it was supposed to be. God's love for humanity is so vast that His desire is that all would choose Him. But as I said, He knows not everyone will. That's also why He gave us the ministry of reconciliation why He gave us believers the ministry of helping others to understand His love for them. We talked about this last week. If you didn't hear it, I encourage you to go online, the website or the Facebook page, and you can hear the message from last week. I don't want to hash over all of that again today. But basically this, God is making His appeal, Paul wrote, to people outside of Christ through believers. He's offering His hospitality to all who want it through us. At least that's what's supposed to be happening. So, how do we tell others to be saved? How do we lead others to Christ? Well, let me help you in that, okay? One of the biggest reasons that believers cite as to why it is they don't share their faith, this isn't just like our church poll or something like that. This is Christians across America, when asked why they don't share their faith, this is the basic reason that they give. The number one reason they, they say. They don't know what to say. Maybe that's you. Maybe you just don't know what to say. How do I lead somebody to Christ? What do I have to say to do that? Not everybody you see can explain the Gospel message. That's frustrating then, isn't it? You know, for some, maybe they came to Christ so long ago they, they don't remember that stuff anymore. It's been so long since they came to Christ they don't remember what those people spoke to them. Or maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you've tried. Maybe you've tried. And, and you're thinking in your mind, you know, I couldn't tell you how many times I've told Joe at work about uh, being saved and the importance of it, and he's rejected me every single time. Let me just tell you this. Keep trying. Because I'm pretty sure you are completely unaware of how many people poured into your life before you turned to Christ. How many people said something into your life before finally the right person with the right words came along and you were at the right point to where Oh, that's what it's about. And you turn to Christ. So keep trying. Don't stop. Ever. So what's the Gospel message? Well, the Gospel message is easy to understand, so I'm going to teach it to you over the next few minutes. So, while I talk here, I'm going to, I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to tell you to write this down, okay? Get your pen. Let me tell you, there's plenty of space in the back of the bulletin. I'm assuming I forgot to get Nancy what was supposed to go on there, so that's why it's blank. Get a pen. Get ready to write this down. 
I'm going to give you in a moment what the Gospel message is. I'll tell you when to write it down. But before I get there, while you're getting your pen out and you're getting ready, let me read you a passage that explains the Gospel message. I'll then sum it up for you. Here's the passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-6. through Now brothers and sisters, Paul's writing this to the church in Corinth. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you. You catch it right here? He's already saying. Starts off. I'm going to remind you of the Gospel that I already taught you which you will receive, and on which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the Word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, in other words, when somebody led him to Christ, I passed on to you as of first importance. While you were still outside of Christ, this was most important, that you understand the Gospel. And here we go. Paul is about to explain the Gospel message, okay? Don't have to worry about writing this down. You can write the passage down if you want, but don't worry about writing it down. I'm going to give you the Gospel in a minute. But he explains it. Here we go. He says, this is the Gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. Okay, That He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. Okay. okay. So, from this passage, we catch two main aspects of the Gospel message. I want you to consider these two pa- aspects. Okay, Think on them. Memorize them so that at any moment you can share the Gospel. I still haven't gotten to the summation of the Gospel message. I'm just explaining still. The two aspects are this. Jesus died for our sins. Paul pointed out that his burial evidences that. That Paul or that Jesus was raised to life on the third day. His appearing to hundreds is evidence of that. So in a nutshell, okay, write this down. You ready? Get your pen ready. Write this down. In a nutshell, here's the gospel message. Jesus died and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. That's it. Simple, isn't it? We make it complicated. We add in all sorts of other stuff. But it is, that's extras. This is the core of what the Gospel message is. That Jesus died and rose to life again for the forgiveness of our sins. Simple, isn't it? You can tell other people that, can't you? And that's, that's simple. Memorize that. Think about that. The Gospel is simple, it is clear, it is easy to understand. Because God didn't make it difficult. We did. The reality is, anybody can tell somebody else how to be saved. It is simple so that from a child to an adult, they can understand the Gospel message. And it is so simple that from a child to an adult, they can tell the Gospel message. No, I understand. There's a lot more in there. I got that. I get that. But don't make it complicated on yourself. This is the core. That Jesus died and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the core of the Gospel message. The Gospel presents the truth that God provided the way for salvation for us through the gift of His Son. Our sin that you and I committed required our death. That was a penalty to be paid for rejecting God. But Jesus, Jesus lived a sinless life. 
And when He died, He took upon Himself the punishment for all who had rejected Him but turned to Him in faith. And now, God is offering this free gift to all who will accept it. Remember we talked about this last week. God is offering His hospitality through us to others. Salvation is not earned by being good enough. It is not earned by paying enough penance. Salvation is freely given through faith in Jesus. Remember that Romans passage, Romans 3.25 I read earlier? Let me read it again so you catch it right here, okay? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. Okay, so that's the penalty paid. To be received by faith. Not by being good enough. Not by getting all your ducks in a row. But through faith. Jesus' gift found in His sacrifice is received by faith. So when a person believes in Jesus, they've got some steps to take. Not steps to earn the salvation, but because they are saved. Steps such as turning away from the sin in their life to living the life God created us to live. That's also known as repentance, by the way. It's a lifelong process. It doesn't happen instantly. We will battle against the sins in our life, as Paul talked about in Romans 7, till the day we die. We will overcome some through the power of the Spirit, and others we will battle. And we'll, we'll discover others along the way. But this includes learning more of who God is and what it is that He expects of His people. But it also includes living out what we read in the Bible as we're discovering more who God is and what He expects of us. Jesus also taught that those new believers are to be baptized. They're to be baptized. This is about our commitment to God. And it's also about our devotion to God and putting that on display for the watching world to see. When we go down into those waters and come back up, there's a lot that happens in there. I'm not going to get into that right now. But one thing that does happen is we are communicating to the world who's seeing. You know what? I am now God's. And I'm not living for me. I am now living for God. And, 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 and. We're communicating to the church, other believers, I am now a Christian. Treat me as such. What does that mean? Encourage me. Love me. Sometimes even correct me when I'm going off. Because I need the help. I need the assistance to live the faithful life. So how do we share our faith? The Gospel message, it's simple. Jesus died and rose from the, the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. But how do we share our faith? I understand sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's difficult. So here's what I encourage you to do. Two things. First of all, consider this. Think about this. Why do you believe? Why are you a Christian? Maybe you've been a Christian so long you don't remember turning to Him. You remember pieces of it. So let me just ask the question simply today, right now. Why do you believe? Why do you follow God? Because that's going to help you to be able to share your faith. It's going to help you to explain to other people why or how. Be ready to tell others your story. Your reasons for following Christ. Secondly, and this sometimes is the hardest thing for people the longer we're Christians. The, the, the statistic is nationally, the longer a person is a Christian, the less non-Christians they know. Which makes it pretty stinking difficult to be able to share your faith if you don't know any non-Christians, right? I mean, I go to church with Christians, I hang out with Christians, and I don't know anybody who's not a Christian. So, this is the hard part. Start developing relationships with people who aren't yet Christ followers. 
Develop relationships with them for the point so that you can talk about the bigger issues of life. Everybody is well aware that there's something broken in our world. It doesn't take a genius to discover that. Help them to understand that sin is that brokenness. It's not how God created it. God created it to impart life. Sin broke that relationship and brings death. Talk about how all human beings have eternity ahead of them. For those who reject God, the reality is they choose hell. It isn't that God is sending them to hell. It's that in life they chose to reject God. Reject His love. So He gives them the only thing that's left, which is His wrath. But, but, those who respond to God's invitation of forgiveness, they get Help those people that God brings across your path to understand that salvation really is within their grasp. Tell them the simplicity of the Gospel. They need, that they need to believe that Jesus died and, and rose again for the forgiveness of their sins. Then no matter how far they think they are from God, God's love reaches to them right there. All they got to do, all they got to do is turn to Him and believe. They too can receive God's gift of salvation through faith. Then, help them to take those next steps that I just talked about. So as you see gold this Christmas, the decorations that will be around all over the place, may it remind you of God's eternal reward for all who believe in Jesus. Believe the Gospel message. And maybe even you can use that as a way to point people to salvation to give them the simplicity of the gospel message. So what do we do with all this? First of all, I want to speak to all believers who are here. Look for God's abundant life flowing from within you. Let it flow to those around you. That good stuff that we were talking about. Then, know that you yourself are forgiven. Praise be to God, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's grace covers all of your sins. Even those sins that keep you up late at night. Those things that you know, man, I wish I hadn't done that. God's grace covers that too. Finally, who in your life doesn't yet believe? Who in your life do you know that is not a Christ follower? Start by praying for them and praying for yourself. Ask God to be at work in their heart, in their mind, that they would be more receptive to the message of the Gospel. Pray for yourself that God will give you the words you need. And this is the bigger part. The boldness to say what needs to be said in love so they too will believe. And finally, be on the lookout for opportunities to give the Gospel message. second group of people I want to talk to this morning, that's the believers. To those who haven't yet believed in Christ, or maybe you're considering it. I'm not too sure where you're at. Obviously, you know. You know something is off in life or you wouldn't be here today. You know that something's broken. And you're hoping to find the fix to that brokenness here. Let me tell you, the fix to that brokenness is Jesus. In the life that He gives to all who want it. 
You may be wondering, what do you do about that? Let me tell you, Jesus died and rose to life for the forgiveness of your Yes, it's a broad thing, all humanity, but don't ever miss that reality. You personally, too. Your sin. You don't need to save yourself. You don't need to clean your life up. You need to believe. We'll help you from there. To everybody. I hope the colors of Christmas help you to know and share Christ more this year.